Good morning and welcome to our service this morning. We're going to stand and sing together. Um, we're going to start with Be Thou My Vision. So waste hunger for oh. 
Good morning. 
And welcome to church this morning. If you've got your bulletins with you, if you'd like to read the scripture that's in there with me, if we can read it together. It's from Psalm 147, verse 1. Let's read together. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is becoming. And singing praise to God is an antidote for when we feel ungrateful or we feel like complaining about our circumstances or the situation or even our society. So I find when I am like that, a great reminder to get out of that rut is to praise the Lord because that's where all the good things come from. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the great things that you give us. We thank you for who you are, that you are holy, that you are just, that you are always right, you're always true, you're always fair. And we thank you that we can depend on you for those things. I pray that you would forgive us for our ingratitude, for our selfishness, and for our complaining when we think we deserve a whole bunch of things that we don't deserve, but we just need to be grateful for what we have. We thank you that we can gather here this morning. We ask that you guide us in your worship of you this morning. In your son Jesus' name we give thanks. Amen. Scripture reading, I'll be reading Acts 1, 12 to 26. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Al-Kadama, that is the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then he, they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles.
Thank you, Curtis. And uh, before we get into this passage, let's just bow our heads and, and open our hearts to God and ask God to guide our thoughts and, uh, and that the Holy Spirit would take this and use it for each of us uh, where we need it to be used. Lord God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that has been read for us. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which is always relevant to what, where we are at and what we are facing and what we need to do. Uh, so, Lord, as we're bowed here before you, we just want to consciously make that choice to open our hearts, open our minds to what you are saying. If you could just come and, and, and teach us and we could hear, hear what it is you're saying to us, each of us personally. And, Lord, I pray you'd just take control of me so that as I speak and what I say, uh, even though I've, I've repaired it, but, Lord, may in a real way, may it be you pushing me aside and you doing the speaking here this morning as we look into your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Our world is a constantly changing place. And uh, we have seen that more than ever in the past couple of years. Seem things are cha changing faster and faster all the time. And we just have to deal with it. We can't just ignore it. We have to deal with it. So for some startup humor this morning about change, I got some how many to change a light bulb jokes for you. But with a bit of a twist. Uh, basic question is, how many dogs does it take to change a light bulb? And as you all know, it would really depend on the breed of the dog. <laughs> so here it is. How many golden retrievers? <laughs> the sun is shining, the day is young, we've got the whole, our whole lives ahead of us, and you're inside worrying about a stupid burned out light bulb? <laughs> how many border collies? Just one, and I'll replace the wiring that's not up to code. <laughs> Toy poodle. I'll just blow on the border collie's ear, and he'll do it. <laughs> By the time he finishes rewiring the house, my nails will be dry. <laughs> How many labs? Oh, me, 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 please let me change the light bulb. Can I, can I, can I, ha, 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 can I? <laughs> Cocker Spaniels. Why change it? I can pee on the carpet in the dark. <laughs> How many pointers? I see it. There it is. Right there. Right, right, right there. <laughs> and how many greyhounds? It isn't moving. Who cares? <laughs> Maybe I should be a little more spiritual in my humor. <laughs> After all, this is church. So how many Southern Baptists does it take to change the light bulb? <laughs> the answer is 109, <laughs> believe it or not. 109 Southern Baptists it takes to change the light bulb. Seven on the light bulb task force subcommittee who report to the 12 on the light bulb task force appointed by the 15 on the trustee board. Their recommendation is reviewed by the Finance Executive Committee of five who place it on the agenda of the 18-member Finance Committee. If they approve, they bring a motion to the 27-member church board who appoint another 12-member review committee. 
If they recommend that the church board proceed, a resolution is brought to the congregational business meeting. They appoint another eight-member review committee. If their report to the next congregational business meeting supports the changing of the light bulb and the congregation votes in favor, the responsibility to carry out the light bulb change is passed on to the trustee board. They then appoint a seven-member committee to find out the best price on new light bulbs. Their recommendation of which bulb is the best buy must then be reviewed by the 23-member ethics committee to make certain that this hardware store has no connection to Disneyland. <laughs> they report back to the trustee board who then commissions the trustee in charge of the janitor to ask him to make the change, to change the light bulb. But then the janitor discovers there's one more bulb burned out. <laughs> Dealing with change can be a hassle. Many of us don't like it much, and I sure don't, and some will do almost anything to put it off. But because change is all around us and is pretty much forced on us, we have to deal with it. Last week we started a sermon series through the book of Acts. As some of your Bibles say, the full title of the book is The Acts of the Apostles. Some of you have that written right in the heading of your book when you look at the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. An Acts could rightly be called a book of transition. It's a book that chronicles the change that occurred from, when, from what Jesus began to do and teach while he was physically here on earth. First couple of verses of Acts kind of tell us that. So it changed from that to what he continued to do and teach after he ascended into heaven, now working through the Holy Spirit, who is indwelling his disciples. That was a pretty big change for those original disciples who lived through it. They had come to believe wholeheartedly that Jesus was and is the Messiah they had been waiting for. They were all with him in doing his work. Their faith did take a bit of a hit when Jesus was crucified. But then he rose from the dead. And that was a huge wow moment in their lives. Jesus, their Messiah, was way more incredible than they thought. He told his disciples the plan, the mission. Go tell everyone of all nations about me, my death and resurrection. And the available salvation from the penalty of sin. It's available to everybody. Go tell that to everybody all over the world. I'll be with you. But first stay here in Jerusalem. Look at this last week. Stay here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Don't try to do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. We looked at that last week. And then Jesus disappears. He ascended up to heaven before their very eyes. And they are left to do Jesus' bidding without Jesus being there in physical form. Jesus is now going to do his work through his disciples who will be indwelt and guided by the Holy Spirit. And his disciples are going to have to deal with this change. And for them it was a huge change. And the book of Acts chronicles that period of transition. So that's a good thing to remember as we go through this entire book. Because it is a book of transition. 
And because it's a book of transition, there are things happening in this book that are one-time events. Uh, they're not meant to be repeated. So some make the mistake of reading the book and thinking that everything that happened in this book, uh, in the book of Acts, should be happening all the time in all our churches and in every Christian's life. Uh, these one-time events occurred so that the transition could take place. But once it happened, it happened. There's no need for it to be repeated. So we need to keep that in mind as we go through the rest of this book. Last week we looked at Jesus commanding his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. That's chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, which we looked at last week. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. And so we left off in verse 11 last week with the angels telling the disciples that Jesus would return in the same way that they had just seen him leave. This week, as we look at the rest of chapter 1, we see the disciples obeying Jesus and what he told them to do. They went back to Jerusalem and they waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit. However, while they're waiting, they did take care of one item they felt needed to be taken care of. And that was to find a replacement for Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus. So in a sense, this passage is kind of an example of the whole book. It's a passage about transition. They're transitioning from Jesus being physically with them to give them guidance to the Holy Spirit coming to give them guidance. And while they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, they're in this period of transition. And there are some good truths here in this passage about handling transition and change that we want to look at. Like I said at the beginning, we live in a world where things are constantly changing, it can be very bewildering. How do we handle it? I think we got some good, good teaching about that here in this passage. As Christians, we need to know how to handle times of transition. And we can know how to do that by following the examples given by the apostles here in this passage, Acts 1, 12 through 26. First example that I see from the disciples here is be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. So let's pick up the story here in verse 12. In your Bibles, Acts 1 verse 12. You can follow along. After Jesus ascended to heaven and the angels spoke to the disciples about Jesus coming back in the same way, they returned to Jerusalem. The place where they were was on Mount Olivet or the Mount of Olives, which was just a hill right outside of Jerusalem. Um, about a Sabbath day's journey away, we are told here. That is the distance that they could travel legally according to the Pharisees' interpretation of the law on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, the holy day, they had all kinds of rules, what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day, and one of them was you couldn't go too far. <laughs> certain length of time, length, a certain distance that you could go on the Sabbath day. It was 2,000 cubits, by the way, so that's just a little more than half a mile. You couldn't go further than that from home on the Sabbath day. So that's how far, it doesn't say this was the Sabbath day, but that's, that's how far the Mount of Olives was from Jerusalem. So they came back to Jerusalem and they gathered together in the upper room. It doesn't specifically say so, but it is reasonable to assume that this is the same upper room that they had celebrated the Passover with Jesus uh, a few weeks previous to this. Seems that this room kind of became the headquarters of the disciples for a period of time. Luke then tells us who were all there in that group that was gathered in the upper room. There were the 11 chosen disciples, 
And Luke names them for us there. You can read it. Uh, the only one missing in that list is, of course, Judas Iscariot, uh, the one who betrayed Jesus. He had committed suicide, you remember. In addition to those 11 disciples, there were the women, as you see, looking down to verses 14 to 15. Of these women, uh, one of them is named for us. It's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it also indicates that there are other women there as well. And also, in that group, were Jesus' brothers. Or more specifically, it would be Jesus' half-brothers. And obviously there was others as well, because Luke tells us that there were a total of about 120 people gathered there together. So over there, there were the 11 disciples Jesus had chosen, plus another considerable group who also made the choice to follow Jesus and became disciples of Jesus. And, and that's consistent with what the gospel record of Jesus' ministry on earth tells us in the gospels. There was often a large group of followers with Jesus in addition to the twelve. This number that are here now are obviously still loyal to Jesus and are still committed followers of his. They're all true disciples. And it seems to me likely that it was likely the 11 disciples, chosen disciples, who were with Jesus when he ascended into heaven on the Mount of Olives, and then they went back to the upper room in Jerusalem and where the rest of the people of these people were. So, in obedience to Jesus' command, they stayed there in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Seemingly just hanging out there in the upper room, waiting. What did they do during this time when they were waiting? Verse 14, let's read it. These with all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They were of one mind. In other words, they were all agreed and together in their loyalty to Jesus as their Savior they were all agreed and together in obeying Jesus to stay there until the Holy Spirit came. They were all in agreement in their belief that the Holy Spirit would come as Jesus had promised. They were all together waiting. They were all of one mind. And so they spent their time together praying. Devoted to prayer, it says. That speaks of something very intentional that they were committed to. And they carried out that commitment. And friends, this is just a great example for all of us when we are facing times of transition. When we're going through times of change and transition. How do you handle that? Well, a good example for us here is be devoted to prayer when you're in that period of time in your life. Be devoted to prayer. Spend time in prayer, if applicable, Get together with others who are going through the same period of change and transition. Pray together with them. And I think for us as Christians, this could apply, well apply to any period of transition that comes upon us. Where we find ourselves in a situation where we're, we will need to change direction. Or do things differently. Many times we don't really choose the change. It's kind of thrust on us. 
And so it isn't immediately clear to us how to handle it. So we need wisdom from above. And in these times, be devoted to prayer. Like the disciples here. Don't do anything rash or spur of the moment or in a knee-jerk reaction kind of way. Wait. Just wait. And while you're waiting, pray. Be devoted to prayer. Waiting is a key discipline in living the Christian life. Which very few of us Christians master very well. <laughs> but, man, as you study the Bible, you see that over and over again. Waiting on God. Key discipline. Those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. Prophet Isaiah tells us. And pray. I think this is important when we're facing times of transition and change. Wait on the Lord. And in that period of waiting, be devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. Commit to do it and do it. If applicable, get together with other Christians who are facing the same thing or are sympathetic or are supporters of yours and pray together. And not just a one-time prayer. <laughs> get down on your knees, pray to God, need guidance, help me. Okay, I prayed, that's done, so let's just... No, no, no. Be devoted to prayer. Keep praying. Keep coming back to prayer. Be devoted. Commit to it. Carry out that commitment. Are you facing some kind of change? Some kind of transition in your life? And aren't quite sure how to deal with it? Be devoted to prayer. For us as a church. As we face the transitions and changes we're facing. We as a church family need to be devoted to prayer. Good opportunity for me to plug our monthly prayer meetings. We've got one coming up Wednesday night. <laughs> good to get together to pray. It's Christmas. So these disciples here leave us a good example in dealing with change in times of transition. Be devoted to prayer. Secondly, stay in tune with the scripture. Stay in tune with the scripture. Let's continue on the story of this passage. Verses 15 through 20. You can follow along. During this period of time, when they were waiting and praying, at some point along that time, Peter addressed the group. Peter stood up and addressed the entire group. Obviously, the, the thought had been impressed upon him that there was a matter they needed to deal with. And that was the matter of Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus and went and hung himself. Uh, I find that it interesting that Peter... In doing that, he addresses the Old Testament, or appealed to the Old Testament scriptures. Specifically to the book of Psalms. And he saw there in Psalms that it had been prophesied, and the scriptures had been fulfilled. That this was going to happen. Judas would betray, betray them and, and leave them. So verse 20 is a quotation from Psalm 69, verse 25. And also from Psalm 109, verse, verse 8. And Peter saw those passages as having their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Yeah, you go back and read those Psalms. David is talking about enemies and uh, his enemies and those out to get him and so on. But Peter saw in them a prophecy that had its ultimate fulfillment in, in Judas. 
And then in verses 17 through 19, Luke gives us a summary of what happened to Judas. Uh, it's recorded also in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and there's a, some discrepancies between the two accounts, Matthew's account and this account here in Acts, and they can be, they can be harmonized quite, quite easily. I'm not going to get into that here. But in short, Judas, in his conviction of his great sin, after he committed it and betrayed Jesus, and Jesus was sentenced to be crucified, uh, Judas went and hanged himself, Matthew tells us. But as you compare that with the account here in the book of Acts, obviously he didn't do a very good job of hanging himself <laughs> because he fell. And on impact, he burst open and his insides gushed out. So that's a pretty gruesome picture that we're left with there. Peter's point here is that this was prophesied by David in the book of Psalms and the scriptures have to be fulfilled. So I'd like to camp here for a little bit. What impresses me here is that Peter, and also the others as Peter leads them, is very much in tune with the scriptures during this period of change and transition. What does the Bible say about this? How is what is going on fit with what the Bible teaches? And Peter saw the connection. And at this point, the disciples are waiting in obedience to Jesus' command, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. They aren't sure what it would look like when the Holy Spirit came. They trusted that when it happened, they'd know it. And they could carry on from there then. But in the meantime, they devoted themselves to prayer, as we've already seen. And as we see here, they stayed in tune with the Scriptures, what the Scriptures said and taught. Whatever was going on, and whatever happened, it would be consistent with what the scriptures teach and taught. So the teaching of the scriptures had to be part of this whole thing. And they needed to keep the teachings of scripture in mind as they went through this period of transition. And again, this is a good example for us as Christians as we face times of transition and change. While we're waiting, while we're devoting ourselves in, to prayer, Stay in tune with the teachings of the Bible. Like I've said before, the Bible is our only source of absolute truth. And in times of change and transition, when everything seems kind of fuzzy and hazy and unsure, we need a source of absolute truth in our lives, which is the Bible. Often we're not exactly sure how things are going to shake out. And we aren't exactly sure what course of action to take or will need to take as we go forward. We don't know. And so we wait. And we devote ourselves in prayer, to prayer. And as we see here, we stay, or we should stay in tune with the teaching of the Bible during this time. We may not be sure of a number of things, but the Bible is our source of absolute truth. Stay in tune with what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says, and live according to what it says, even in these times of waiting. It may not give you directions as to a course of action you need to take for your specific circumstance, but it will give you directions as to how to live and how to conduct yourself as you navigate through it. And as you read it and pray over it and follow it, it may be that you will 
read something or something will twig in your mind as you read that, that will give you the guidance that you need. One thing we do know, and this is according to the teachings of the Bible, we do know that whatever is happening, whatever it is, whatever change or transition you're facing is not a surprise to God. That's very clear from the teaching of the scriptures. The Bible teaches that. It's not a surprise to God. God knew about it all along. And he's already made it part of his plan for you as his child. And that plan fits into his great plan for the entire world to bring the gospel message and his offer of salvation to the whole world. It all fits together and the scriptures must be fulfilled. Peter says. So friends, stay in tune with the scriptures. The teachings of the Bible. Don't get sidetracked from that in your period of transition or change. While you wait for direction, live your lives in accordance to what you know the Bible says. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. Live out the commands of God and how he wants his children to live their lives. And keep on reading and keep in tune with God's word. Understand that this, whatever it is you're going through, this fits into God's plan. And God is working. God is working. It may not seem like it at the moment. You may not see it. It may look like he's not at all at this moment. That's what it might look like. But God is working. Stay in tune with the scriptures. Thirdly and finally, move toward what is needed for the future. Move toward what is needed for the future. So as you going on in our story here, verse 21 and following, uh, Peter continues addressing the gathering there that because of what it says in Psalm 109 verse 8, where it says, his office let another man take, uh, because of that scriptural teaching there, Peter said they needed to appoint someone to take the place of Judas in the group of the 12 chosen apostles. And Peter goes on then, as you read there, he, to, give, to give the qualifications necessary for the person who is to join this group of chosen disciples and apostles. Those qualifications are, he must be someone who has been with them the whole time, from Jesus' baptism right up until Jesus' ascension. And in particular, he must be someone who, has, who was a witness of Jesus' resurrection. In other words, someone who had seen Jesus alive after he rose from the dead. Those are the qualifications necessary to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. <laughs> as the New Testament defines it and teaches it. So, two people were put forward who met those qualifications. There was a man named Joseph Barsabbas. Barsabbas was likely the surname. Also known as Justice. Justice was, would have been the Roman name. <laughs> those people living at that time, the Jews, they had their Jewish name, but because the Romans ruled the world, they often they had a Roman name as well. So, Justice was the Roman name. The other one was Matthias. So they prayed over this decision as to who should be the cho one chosen. And then they cast lots. Took a couple of stones, 
wrote a name on each one, put them in an urn of some type, whatever clay pot or whatever they would have had, uh, gave it a shake, dumped them out, first one out of the urn, then was considered to be God's choice. And that's consistent with how things were done in the Old Testament. Uh, when the priests were seeking guidance of God over some decision, you read in the Old Testament of them casting lots. That's what the disciples are doing here. It's consistent with what they were familiar with and how they did things in the Old Testament. It's interesting that after the Holy Spirit came, you never read again of Christians using this method of casting lots to discern the guidance of God. After the Holy Spirit came, you never read of that again. He gave them, after the Holy Spirit came and to indwell all believers, he gave them, as he indwelt believers, the Holy Spirit gave the guidance that was needed. So, at any rate, the lot fell to Matthias. As they cast lots, the lot fell to Matthias, and he, from that point, was numbered with the apostles. Verse 26 tells us that. By the way, I'm going to throw something out here. <laughs> I'm not going to solve it for you, but I'm going to just throw it out. Something for you to chew on. It's good for us to go away from a Sunday morning with, got to study this, got to think about this, got to chew on this for a bit. Did what the disciples do here, was that the right thing for them to do? Or were they running ahead of the Holy Spirit and appointing an apostle to take Judas's place? <laughs> I have in my library two commentaries on the book of Acts. And those two commentators are disagreed on that. <laughs> so One says, yeah, Peter, being typical Peter, he kind of took charge and he kind of ran ahead a bit of the Holy Spirit and got them to do, went through this process. Uh, because after this passage, Matthias was chosen... He's numbered with the apostles, but after this, we never read of Matthias again. You never see him again in, in the New Testament. The apostle Paul was Jesus' choice of a replacement for <laughs> Judas. And uh, the other commentator takes the different view that, no, what they're doing here is perfectly appropriate. And there's no record that good Matthias, he was numbered with the apostles. It says there, verse 26, he was part of the apostles from then on. And so, no, this is perfectly good and right. So... I'm not going to answer that for you. <laughs> I'll leave you to think about that. But the example for us here is that during times of change and transition, as we devote ourselves to prayer, and as we stay in tune with the teachings of the scriptures, it may well be that you will come to a realization of some things that are needed as you go forward. No matter how it shakes out and you're still not sure, but it may be that they'll come to a realization, well, no matter how it does, i got to do this or this, or this has to be taken care of. And the example here is then to move toward taking care of that. For the disciples here, Judas needed to be replaced. That was what they saw. Jesus chose 12 disciples to be his apostles, to carry out the job of going to all nations and making disciples of all nations. One of them deserted and betrayed Jesus. So that left 11. But there needed to be 12 as they understood the scriptures. So they moved toward replacing Judas as that was what they needed for the future moving forward. And so what we can glean from here is that whatever time of change and transition you may be going through, 
or we may be going through, as we wait, spending our waiting period devoted to prayer, and as we stay in tune with the teachings of the Bible, it may well be that we will come to the realization of something or some things that need to be taken care of moving forward. You may not know the full extent of how it will shake out or how God will guide you, but something has become clear that needs to be taken care of no matter what. And if that happens and when it happens, the disciples here leave us a good example. Move in that direction of taking care of it, <laughs> of addressing it, whatever it is, as it becomes clear. Stay consistent in what you know the Bible says and then in that move toward that direction and move in that direction of taking care of that whatever it is needs to take care of. So therefore we see from this passage the examples left by those disciples or these disciples of Jesus in handling this time of transition. We're in that, they're in that period of Jesus is gone and they're still waiting for the Holy Spirit. They're kind of in the middle. And they're waiting. It's a period of transition. Leave you some good examples that we would do well to follow. They are, number one, be devoted to prayer. Number two, stay in tune with the scriptures. And number three, move toward what is needed for the future. As I said, I have, I have no idea if you are facing some changes or transitions in your life. For most of you. Some of you I do, but most of you I don't. If you are in a period of transition or change, they're unsettling times. They really, really are. Because of all the unknowns. Can I encourage you to follow these examples? Pray. Be devoted to prayer. Keep strong in the Bible, reading the Bible. Spend, and I've harped on this before, I'll harp on it again. Spend way less time on your devices <laughs> and way more time in the Bible. That's kind of our go-to thing in our world, isn't it? What do we do? I don't know what to do. What should I do? Ah, Google. Let's figure it out. No. Bible. Let's figure it out. And then as things clarify, move toward what is needed for the future. How does it apply to us as a church? family, some of the changes we're going through and have to <laughs> kind of put upon us. How do we do that? Be devoted to prayer. Stay in tune with the scripture. Move toward what, as you do that, becomes clear in the direction you need to take. We're going to go through our time of silence. So I encourage you just to bow your heads and just spend a moment of silence hearing God. As, as we do that, uh, just listen to what God may be saying to you personally. I'll just give you a few moments of silence.
tone just before the music team comes up. I can encourage you. I don't usually do this, but what did you hear God say to you in our time of silence, if any? Did, did God say something to you? Did you hear God give you some words or impress something upon your heart? And if you did, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to put it into action? I always, in the sermon notes I put in your bulletin, I give a little thing at the bottom, an application I need to. <laughs> if you could think you'd write that down. What did you hear God say, and how are you going to put it into action in your life? And as God tells you that, write it down so you know what it is as we go into the coming week. Music team, please. Let's stand and sing together. <clears throat> Words impart. Ancient words. Impart. 
ancient words impart Oh, let the ancient words impart To be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. Cleanse me from where 
singing.